What's going on guys? Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking about the hierarchy of importance for hypertrophy. So we're gonna take some of the variables like relative intensity, volume, technique, rest times, rep ranges, exercise selection, tempo, frequency, and we're gonna kind of rank them in order of importance or at least build some sort of a heuristic, a way to think about this, this sort of stuff um, because there are certainly gonna be scenarios where you know, you might rank them slightly differently, but I'm gonna give you at least enough context that you can have a better understanding of why I might rank them this way, generally speaking. Uh, again, there's gonna be a ton of context, a little bit of nuance, and so hopefully we leave this discussion kind of understanding it more as a whole instead of, you know, this isn't a, this is my order of importance given certain circumstances and context. You know, there are gonna be scenarios, and I'll, you know, I'll offer those scenarios up where you might order these slightly differently. Now there are two dogs barking a ton directly below my apartment right now, and they've been barking for the last half hour, um, but I have run out of time and I got to record this now. And so I'll try and edit them out, but if you hear a little yelping, I'm sorry. So we'll see how it is. It's not Cali. Cool. So when we were at the N1 Practicals, um, or for whatever you, if you guys follow what, what, you know, some of my Instagram stuff, there was an analogy from Kaz where we were uh, talking about um, the all of the different variables that might go into getting certain gains or certain stimulus. And, you know, it was like recoverability and volume and intensity and some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. And what he was kind of trying to say is that if we end up with one of those variables being just god awful, so let's say your recoverability is shit, you don't eat enough, you don't sleep enough, you don't manage stress, what we end up is with this like multiplied by zero scenario where, you know, your gains are being held back because one of these variables has fallen so low that it's like only as strong as your weakest link scenario compared to, to having them each at a certain threshold so that you can maximally get, you know, uh, uh, benefit from having them all at a certain threshold. Great. Um, and so, again, we're going to talk about this in, the, in, in an attempt, you know, to create a heuristic, which is just a way of thinking about this sort of stuff where you guys can have a greater understanding about what is important when you're going into your workout. But there are going to be scenarios where, like, hey, if one of these things falls all the way below a certain threshold, like, it, it might not even matter if everything else is in check. Even the stuff that's at the bottom of this list or towards the bottom of this list, if it's so bad that it's at, like, a, quote, zero, it's just, like... It's, it will be holding back the rest, even if things are in check, even if the quote, more important stuff is in check. Okay, anything else, any other uh, picture that I need to paint here? Um, again, you're gonna hear a lot of it depends in certain contexts because honestly, it does depend. And that's why I'm doing this in podcast form because it does depend and I'd like to add a little bit more context. Great, I'm gonna take a quick sip of coffee. We're gonna get this started. And again, this, you know, each of these things could have their own podcast, which I might do at some point, but for now, just building a decent framework is what I'd like to do. Okay, enough messing around. Let's get into it. So the most important variable that I would say for hypertrophy or for, you know, potentially any adaptation is going to be relative intensity. Uh, and, you know, the word intensity in the strength and conditioning and weightlifting world usually just refers to the total amount of load that is lifted uh, as a percentage of what you could do. But relative intensity is more of a, a terminology we use in hypertrophy to describe how hard you worked relative to your max efforts. And so what we use is something called RIR or RPE. And if you've listened to this podcast, we've done discussions on these two. And so relative intensity means how hard I worked compared to how hard I could have worked. So how hard did I work compared to the max that I could have done? And so, you know, the tools that we use to describe that and to put a little bit more of a, a clear cut picture on this variable is something called RIR or RPE. RIR is uh, uh, reps in reserve, which means how many more reps could you have done 
if you went all the way to failure. So if you stop a set at 10, but you could have done 12 with a gun to your head, that means you did an RIR of two. You left two reps in reserve. RPE is a flipped metric. Uh, it is a uh, acronym that says it's a rate, uh, that is called a, geez, it is an acronym, rating of perceived exertion. Uh, it is a one to 10 scale, one being super easy, 10 being basically absolute failure or the max that you could do. And oftentimes it is just the RIR uh, number flipped. And so an RIR of two would be an RPE of uh, nine or eight uh, and an, uh, whatever, an RIR of zero, which is failure would be an RPE of 10. Great. Why do I like RIR for hypertrophy? We're not gonna go super in depth on this. I wanna build a little bit more of a framework, framework, um, you know, kind of relating these variables instead of going super in deep, but whatever. Um, why do I like RIR for hypertrophy? Well, what we know about hypertrophy is getting a certain number of reps from failure is probably the most important variable. And that's why this is number one, because for hypertrophy, we know that the, the, the reps that are closest to failure are the real, quote, effective reps. And so what we know is something around five reps from failure and beyond. So the let's say you do a set of 15, reps 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, were the really the most stimulative reps. And so reps in reserve is actually just a more accurate way of measuring exactly what we care about. What we care about is getting a certain number of reps shy from failure. That is exactly what reps in reserve dictates. And so I do prefer that. Now you could use RP, it's totally fine. What's important is it makes sense in your brain and that you can get better at assessing what that is over time. Um, some people like RPE better because like, how hard was this is like an easier question than how many more reps that I have in the tank. But it being an easier question doesn't make it better. Actually, it is a good indication that it's a little bit more vague. And so even if you suck at RIR at first because it's so specific and you're not used to answering that sort of a question for yourself, um, you'll get better over time and you'll probably get better gains for it in the long term. Um, do you always need to train to failure? I guess I didn't plan on going this in depth, but here we are. Um, do you always need to train to failure? You don't. Um, What's important is that you occasionally go to failure for two reasons. One, because going to failure is obviously very stimulative. It's also very fatiguing, which we've covered in other podcasts. Um, what I care about is that you are periodically going to failure and that your stimulative training is all done within a couple reps shy of failure. And so it doesn't all need to be all the way to failure, but it all needs to be within the effective range of reps, which is, let's say, you know, on average, two RIR, sometimes a little bit higher, sometimes a little bit lower. I, I have a tweet coming out in a couple, this is a weird way of saying that, but I have a, a post that I was gonna make and uh, it basically read, you know, one of the biggest benefits of, of going to failure is to recalibrate your inner bitch. And I think that that actually is something I 100% believe in. I think one of the best benefits of going to failure is to remind yourself, one, what that subjectively feels like, and two, is to get objective data of what you're actually capable of and so that you can work backwards from that and better assess RIR in the future. Cool. So we have number one thing that is most important for hypertrophy is working hard enough. Is your sets getting actually close enough to failure? That is number one, because everything else on this list, if you are doing it, and we're gonna go over volume and technique and rest times, if all of those things are in check, but your sets are not close enough to failure, nothing matters. You get no growth. You cannot do a zillion really great sets that are not close to failure and expect, for, expect hypertrophy to happen. It doesn't. Cool. So that's like the number one bottleneck, let's say. And next we have volume. And so we'll we'll define volume for now casually as number of sets. And so if, if box one that we need to check is relative intensity, and that's like the quote, how hard, this is the how much component. So obviously, if you have a really hard set, you still need a number of sets. You can't just do one hard set. That won't be enough. 
And so if you have one hard set, that would be, you know, all of the relative intensity component with none of the volume component. That still doesn't do it. And so you still need more than one hard set. And so we have this, you know, how much components. Okay, now I'm working, you know, above a threshold where it is stimulative because I'm getting close enough to failure, but I also need enough total work to push uh, hypertrophy at least optimally. Um, so, you know, thinking about these two things here, if you're training hard enough, which is the first box, and you're doing enough sets, the second box, you're on the right track. And obviously there's still a bunch of things that we're gonna talk about. There's a ton of other stuff that matters. But if someone's like, hey, I'm training close to failure and I'm doing an adequate amount of volume. Uh, you know, am I close to, you know, am I getting gains? I would say almost certainly yes. And there are obviously gonna be things that we talk about in a second that are, you know, uh, other variables that we wanna look at. But man, those are two really, really big ones and they're gonna be close to, if not at the top. Number three would be technique. And people are gonna, some people, I guess, are gonna wonder why this isn't first. You know, you should be lifting with good technique. You don't wanna hurt yourself. That's 100% true. And while I'd say, you know, what I would say to that is, I think that having good enough technique is massively, massively important, super freaking important. And even for me, someone who nerds out about the biomechanics in his free time, like I think there's definitely going to be a diminished return when you're going from good technique to let's say optimal technique. There is a big return going from shitty, potentially injurious technique to good technique. That's massively important. I think that that's why it's ranked three here. Um, and if we were discussing you know, let's say someone's like, okay, well, what if you were very close to failure and doing enough sets, but everything you did was god-awful technique? Okay, yeah, that's when it, we circle back to that analogy that we talked about in the first place. It's like we get that multiply by zero effect if one of these things is so freaking bad that it can't be saved by the other ones. Okay, that's fine. Um, I, I understand that and I agree with it. And so for technique, I think that it is obviously really important. It's rank three here. Um, but I do think when we're talking about technique, you know, the most important thing, I have a group with hundreds of people in it right now, and what I care about most is getting everybody's technique to a safe and effective place, and then from there, tweaking it over time so that we can get closer to optimal. Like, I need people's technique to go from like, this is gonna break my back and my knees, to hey, this is pretty pretty damn safe, and I'm gonna get really good hypertrophy, and I can have good output, and then that's the kind of the checkpoint I need to get everybody to, and then from there, we can kind of inch towards, hey, like, What's my arm path like? Could I go, you know, a couple degrees up or a couple degrees down? It's like, okay, that's that's in the weeds and that's great. And I love learning, nerding out about it. Um, but I really do think that, uh, you know, getting the technique to good enough is where we need to focus on. And, and also like, okay, yes, listen, if your technique sucks, you know, if your technique is, is really bad, is below this threshold of good enough, at best, you'll get worse gains. And at worst, you'll get injured. And I, I honestly think part of like, I, the, the older I get, and you can laugh that I'm not that old, whatever, but the older I get, the more I think about what I really want. What I really want is to be strong and healthy, and sure, I'd like to also look good for as long as possible, and I think one of the big parts of that is, uh, one of the big parts of like growing older and staying muscular and strong means not having a lot of major injuries along the way. It's like, I don't want to be that like 45 year old guy that's like, you know, I, I can't, I can't hold a dumbbell or I can't raise my arm because my shoulder hurts because, you know, 30 years of poor pressing mechanics or whatever it is. And so establishing that threshold of good enough technique across the board, really, really important. Um, however, probably doesn't rank over relative intensity and volume because again, if you think about it, if your technique is really great, but your sets aren't close enough to failure or you're not doing enough sets, then again, it won't matter. Cool. We're gonna move on to rest times and rep ranges. And I'm gonna put them together because I feel fairly similarly when I think about these. Um, I'd say these rank so high because 
again, at the extreme ends, we trend away from hypertrophy altogether. And so they are, you know, in the extreme ends, they are very, uh, it's easy to kind of conceptualize where you get this multiply by zero effect. Um, you know, if you never rest at all between sets, you're just doing, you know, hit class. You're doing cardio while holding dumbbells. Um, and if you do on the extreme end of rep ranges, if you do sets of really, really high reps or really, really low reps, you're leaving significant gains on the table. And so at the extreme ends, we definitely can trend away from hypertrophy altogether. Um, but what I would say is that these, so these two are, are, are interesting to me because uh, like we just said, if you go at the extreme ends, you trend away from hypertrophy altogether, but there's a really wide range of acceptability. And again, that's going to be a, that's going to be kind of a theme here where it's like, Hey, we have stuff we definitely shouldn't do, but we also have this wide range of good enough. And that's where people really, I want to get people to that place. And then we can nerd out about making things perfect. Totally. We can talk about the nuance between two minute rest and three minute rest. But if I can just get people to stop resting 30 to 60 seconds, there are circumstances, by the way, where you would do that, absolutely. But on average, we're probably looking between the one and four minute rest range between sets. Um, and so what's pretty cool is, again, rest times and rep ranges, they have a really wide range of acceptability in terms of good enough. And then obviously we can tweak towards the nuance. But if you're resting, again, between one and four minutes on average, and your reps are for the most part between five and 15 and sometimes the higher, like you're gonna get pretty freaking close to the bullseye. Like if you're doing sets of one, or two, or three, or 50, or 60, or 70, you're leaving significant gains on the table, potentially getting almost negligible hypertrophy. Um, but that doesn't mean that this is like some high risk red alert scenario because we do have a wide range of, of, of rest times and rep ranges that can work. Um, and then within the nuance, we have, you know, even more, we can be even more specific with our rest times and our rep ranges to kind of more optimize um, whatever the stimulus is. But it's really cool that we do have this wide range of acceptability and this threshold for good enough. Um, you know, I just want that to be something that is more important right now. I want that to be a big takeaway for today because I'll get a lot of, you know, DMs about these two topics. And a lot of times the questions will be asked like, oh, should I rest two or three minutes? It's like, man, you're already really close because you didn't say 15 seconds or two hours. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, there's some nuance there, but like, Let's get everybody's, let's get all of these factors up to a threshold where it's good enough. And I promise people will get, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, aggregate effect where you're, they're helping each other, right? There's a word there that escapes me. Um, not potentiation, whatever. These things will work together better if they're all above a certain threshold into this optimal ballpark here. Next, we have uh, exercise selection. And while I would love this to rank higher, since it is something that I'm enjoying expanding my knowledge on lately, it's technically not something that can knock off any of the other ones. Obviously, again, if you're like doing calf raises for biceps, that doesn't make any sense. And so at the extreme ends, we still get this multiplied by zero effect. We still need it to be at a certain threshold. Um, but once the, you know, once the, the top four are in check, once you're training hard enough, you're doing enough sets, your technique is good enough, and your rest times and rep ranges are within a ballpark of where we want them for hypertrophy, I would say choosing the right exercises for your goal and structure become a variable that can absolutely make a big difference, right? Getting people who are doing most things right to, you know, express their goal and then apply certain exercises to what their goal is and what their structure is. And, you know, an example might be somebody who's always low bar back squatted, you know, with a very hip dominant technique their whole life. But once you get to talking to them, they really want to grow their quads and they have really long femurs. And you're like, you know, 
this whole like low bar back squat thing just isn't great. Maybe try this hack squat machine. And all of a sudden, this is a much better exercise for the quads and it can become something that's very important over the long term. Cool. We're going to, the last two are tempo and then frequency slash split. And so tempo. Again, this is something I'd love to rank higher because it's something I've had a ton of fun learning about and applying over the last couple of years, just understanding how different tempos can affect the end stimulus. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. We're acquiring a stimulus. And so learning where tempo plays a part in that and being able to manipulate it to kind of change the stimulus, especially, you know, in the last couple of years that we've been, or the majority of us, or many of us have been at home, adjusting tempo has been a massively helpful, uh, uh, understanding that we can manipulate tempo as a, as a variable so that we can get like multiple stimuli from the same exercise has been awesome. But you can get pretty far with a very basic tempo prescription. And so again, at the extreme ends, if you're doing super dumb shit, and your tempo sucks, and we'll talk about what that might look like, yeah, you're going to get that multiplied by zero effect, and it's going to be like, okay, it's going to be tough to get gains from this. Um, but there's a really wide range of acceptability when it comes to tempo. And if you're my client or you're in the group, um, what I would say, or I guess anybody listening, is if you if you go at your exercises, all of them, let's say, this, you've never worked with tempo at all before, and you do something, and, and you start to work all your exercises with this cadence, and that cadence would be a slow and controlled eccentric or lengthening portion, a forceful but still controlled concentric, so a slower eccentric than concentric, with optional pauses at the stretched or short positions, you're going to get really, really far. Usually that's something like a 3010, uh, anywhere from like two to four on the eccentric, 010 or 111, whatever, depending on if we're going to add pauses or not. And so we have this scenario where at the extreme ends where let's say you're doing explosive eccentrics. Man, for hypertrophy, there's basically no application for explosive eccentrics. And so you could fuck this up and do explosive eccentrics and get, you know, uh, uh, an, in, some of this like multiply by zero effect where this is, you know, really hindering your gains because you're dive bombing into your squats, you're dive bombing into your RDLs, you're not controlling the eccentric. Um, but we have this really wide range of acceptability. It's like, hey, if you're just, controlling the weight in the lengthening phase, pulling on it hard or pushing on it hard, and then maybe pausing at the at the opposite ends, man, you're going to get really, really far. From there, we can learn to be a little bit more specific. We can add pauses in certain places to get a specific stimuli. You know, we can do a little faster eccentric, a little uh, slower concentric, whatever it is to kind of affect that stimuli. But for now, man, there's this real wide range of, it's like, you know, the bullseye grows in this scenario because if you get close to that, you know, slow and controlled eccentric, forceful but controlled concentric, optional pauses at the ends, man, you're going to get pretty damn far. Cool. Anything else on that? Yeah, definitely a variable we can manipulate to our benefit um, and one that we can really mess up if we have really explosive eccentrics, let's say. But it's pretty easy to get this good enough. Last but not least, we have frequency or split. Um, it's likely that volume across the week, if all else on this list is the same, right, in a hypothetical example where everything else is the same, will matter a lot more than when you did that volume. And I, and I know that there have been previous podcasts, and when I say previous, I mean some of the first ones I did several years ago where we talk about the importance of hitting muscle groups twice per week and, and a lot of this stuff. I, I don't know that I agree with a lot of that anymore. Um, I think that there can be some benefit to using certain splits and frequency train and, and increasing the frequency in, this, in which you hit a muscle. Sure. But I do think that if somebody does 10 sets of, let's say back, whatever, 10 sets of back in one workout or 10 sets of back in split over two workouts, 
but and every other factor in this list is the same. They eat the same calories. It's the same person in the same scenario. They just split up their 10 sets in one workout or two. God, I cannot imagine that there is a difference, that this is a needle mover at all. Now, that doesn't mean that frequency and split don't play some factor in your in your gains. They do, they do. Um, it's just ranking pretty low on the list because, man, I, I, would, I would ask you a whole lot of other questions first before asking what your split is, like how close are you getting to failure? How many sets per muscle group per week? What's your technique like? You know, uh, what's your exercise selection? You know, are you optimizing rest times and getting, you know, in a ballpark of rest times and rep ranges? You know, uh, you know, is your tempo controlled? And so I think that there would be things, listen, I'm, depends how in depth we want to go here. Because if you ask me a binary question, yes or no, does frequency and split, is frequency or split a variable that can change the stimulus? Absolutely. hundred percent. Totally. Yes. Um, and it doesn't mean that there aren't better and worse splits depending on the context, but it's also going to come down for like the average person listening to this. It's going to come down to like how much time you want to slash can be in the gym, your goals, your recovery habits, some to some degree, your genetics, what phase of training you're in. And so I think that there's, it's just not a variable I would rank super high. Now it is a variable that we will talk about when we're building your split. If you're on a, you know, zoom call with me and you're a one-on-one client, we're going to go over this. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of doing a three day full body or a four day upper, uh, upper, lower, five day upper, lower, push, pull, lower, whatever. Um, you know, or, or more nuanced splits than that. We will discuss it, but I care way more about what you're doing in that workout than, you know, what days you're doing it or how frequently or any of that stuff. Um, so hopefully that gave you guys some context. I'm going to kind of reiterate what I talked about in the beginning here and say, this is, these are not, uh, this is not law. I, I wrote this list kind of, you know, taking into account basic contexts in which, you know, um, discussions that I have with people and, and, and gaps in people's trainings that I think that in people's training that I think they could fill that would have the biggest return on their efforts. Um, and so I do think that getting close to failure is like the first port of call, the first line of defense, then looking at your volume and your technique, um, making sure the rest times are good. Exercise selection is good, but I'm kind of working through it at least in some way in this order, it's not so set in stone, but it does hopefully help give you guys a framework of what's important and why, and also how, you know, you can create that multiplied by zero effect if one of these things is just not above a certain threshold of good enough. Um, and, and I think another takeaway would be that just understand that there is a lot of, yeah, it's interesting because the, the, each, each of these has a decently wide range. If we talk about relative intensity, you know, what we know about getting close to failure is that there's a decent range. If you're, you know, within four reps of failure, it's stimulative. That set was stimulative, right? And if you're doing somewhere between X and X number of sets per week, that's great. And and within that, there might be fluctuation. Same thing with the, uh, the RIR discussion. Like once you're close enough to failure, you're good. But if we want to get great, we're going to be more specific with more specific RIR prescriptions. Same with technique. It's like, hey, man, let's get this thing good enough where it's safe and effective, and then we can work on making it great. Same with rest times and rep ranges. We have this wide range of good enough. You know, don't rest really short. Don't wait 15 minutes. Rep ranges. Well, you know, I, you know, I've said in the past five to thirty rep range. That's technically true if you look at the research. But if we talk mechanistically, you know, we might want to stay a little bit low, lower than that, uh, at least from an efficiency standpoint. But whatever, even if it was five to twenty, five to fifteen, that's still pretty wide. People are like, should I do eight to ten or ten to twelve? It's like, you know, if we, if you really ask my nuanced brain that would love to nerd out about this stuff, there is a difference, but it's absolutely minute and comes very second to you getting in the ballpark. 
exercise selection. Yeah, if we want to talk about what's better, a barbell bench press or a dumbbell bench press, I think that that's a relevant conversation. But I also think, you know, understanding that if you want to grow your pecs, that you need to do some sort of pressing and flying and stuff like that is important. There is a threshold of good enough when it comes to exercise selection. Um, you know, and it's definitely something that I'm finding out might actually be bumping up this list a little bit, but probably more so for the more trained individual. Um, yeah, so hopefully those were some of the takeaways, guys. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.